Hi there, this is Clark Terry here, reminding you to pull your bearskins a little closer to the fire. That's it. <laughs> now you're talking to hey. Ah, watch out for those snapping sparks. Everybody cozy? Now the good news is that you're in time for the humble farmer. You've worked hard all day, and you deserve to relax now. So stay right there and listen to the best of this kind of music.
guess that was the end of that. No hints about ending or anything. Thank you for listening to The Humble Farmer. A week or so ago, you might remember, I mentioned that if there is one thing Americans hold dear, it is their right to drive during a blizzard until they get stuck and then have to be rescued or have their frozen bodies removed from their cars two days later. Thank goodness for someone who writes. Tim, radio friend, Tim wrote back, Humble, at least the bodies are frozen. When they get stuck somewhere in warm weather and die, the resale value of the car is shot.
22nd ending on that, and it wasn't necessary, wasn't it? When you get going that fast, you got to remember, it takes a long time to, to slow down and stop. Marian Petrescu, I believe he's a Romanian who has moved up to Sweden. Will you permit an old man to tell you something that he picked up somewhere along the way? Listen closely, please. This is, this is wisdom. A cynic is an idealist who has been forced to face the facts.
John Hamilton here on The Humble Farmer. Thank you for listening. With any luck at all, I'm here every week at this time playing old-fashioned music just for you. I am thehumblefarmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Did you read about a girl who went off the road due to snowy road conditions? Did you laugh at what it said in that police report? She went off the road due to snowy road conditions. In 64 years of driving an automobile, I have never gone off the road due to snowy road conditions. But I've probably gone off a snowy road several times because I was driving too fast. Williams. When I was a boy, <clears throat> don't you hate to have some old geezer start off with, when I was a boy, I don't like to start out a story this way, but when I was 16 or 17, I used to drive down an icy road by Russ Thomas's garage and pull on the emergency brake and cut the wheel and spin round and round in the road. I was driving an old car. It was probably 
It was a 1926 automobile, which would have made it would have made it 25 years old at the time. Anyway, you drive down the road, sightsee, pull on the emergency brake, cut the wheel, spin round round the road. You do that long enough, and you'll know exactly what to do in later years, should your car start to slide on an icy road. You know how to control it. Stay off the brake and hold your breath and steer with it. Nowadays, you can probably take a course from experts. You see them on TV. They'll teach you how to keep from losing control of your car on an icy road. How many times have you seen them giving those demonstrations on television? Although there's probably no better way to learn how to control your car on icy roads than to put it in a controlled spin yourself and then learn how to get out of that spin without going off the road. Now, to be honest with you, it is a skill that is probably easier to learn when you're 16 years old than when you're 60. When you're 16, you can do things that you can't do when you're 60. You don't want to do when you're 60. If you've watched enough news footage of people in Alabama who are driving on an icy road for the first time, you might notice that, number one, they drive too fast, and number two, the first thing they do when they start to slide, you've seen them, the first thing they do when they start to slide is jam on the brakes and lock all four wheels.
Scott Hamilton, Bob Wilbur here on The Humble Farmer. Thank you for listening. I am thehumblefarmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Someone said that Stephen King raised a fuss a while back when he told some students that if they couldn't read, they'd very likely end up working in Walmart or in the army. <laughs> Let's hope he learned something from this. Always consider the consequences before telling an unpleasant truth in public.
Jerome Kearns, Till the Clouds Roll By. I hear that in my head sometimes, so over and over and over. And still amazes me the notes. Ron Carter, they're playing bass, playing all the right notes. <laughs> uh, hormones to blame for your flabby abs. Yes, that's what the email I got said. It said, are hormones to blame for your flabby abs? How much you want to bet a quarter that they're selling a pill that will take the flab out of your abs and everything else? I personally don't sit around thinking about my flabby abs, do you? Unless you go to work wearing only a pair of shorts, should you be unduly concerned about flabby abs? Now, we've talked about this before. The purpose of advertising is to make you dissatisfied with that which you have. Yes, you remember that we talked about this. The only way they can get you to buy more pills is to invent some new ailment and then convince you that you have this ailment. I'm now sorry I even mentioned flabby abs. Not that I worry about flabby abs. At my age, I'm just thankful that I can still dress myself.
Scott Hamilton, and Bob Wilba here on the humble, humble Farmer. Although I cannot consider myself a cosmopolitan on a level with James Bond, I have lived in Sweden for half a year. I can buy a hot dog in several languages. I've slept in a roadside ditch in Denmark in a pouring rain. I've routed a knife-wielding mugger in Casablanca. I've eaten spaghetti in Borgia's restaurant in Sicily. And I can speak as much Greek as I've ever heard James Bond use in a movie. In other words, I've been around long enough to know better than to look down at the ignorant peasants in other countries who have never seen a newspaper or a television set. But, after getting this email from Africa, I'm going to make an exception. Listen to this letter, and you tell me if you think the person who sent it could be all that smart. This letter says, Dearest one, it is my pleasure to contact you for a business venture which I intend to establish in your country. There is this amount of $7 million which my late father deposited for us in a leading bank before his death. I have decided to invest these money in your country where it will be safe. <laughs> Heard enough? If you had $7 million, would you send it to a country that's continually waging a war for the sole purpose of making a few people a bit richer? Would you send your money to one of the few industrialized countries in the world where people have to struggle to have health insurance and, and where Jeb Bush might well become president? I ask you, would you?
Flanagan. Thank you for listening to The Humble Farmer. With any luck at all, you can hear me playing old-fashioned music just for you every week at this time. Right here on your favorite station. I'm the Humble Farmer at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. My brother once told me that Quakers won't take an oath. I didn't know that. And when you think about it, why should taking an oath be necessary? Isn't it silly? You might explain this oath-taking business to me. Doesn't it imply that we take it for granted that you can lie to your friends and business associates and customers in the normal course of business, but suddenly when you're under oath, all of a sudden you have to tell the truth? I just saw an episode of Matlock. It was a military trial. And the people, the officers and military men there, weren't required to take an oath, and it kind of stuck in my mind. I don't know about this oath-taking business, which is why I'm asking you about it. Doesn't taking an oath strike you like a vestige of some pagan ritual? I was told that people up here in New England are not as likely to lie as people from other parts of the country. Do you believe that in New England, lying is considered to be as bad as adultery? I think that might be true, at least in the community, St. George, where I was brought up, because, speaking for myself, I do know that the circumlocutive prowess of people who can't lie are often severely taxed.
Miyazaki. Don't don't expect I'm going to sing that for you. I do not know the words to Nagasaki, do you? I'm sure they are online. You can find them. Why? Here's a question for you. Why would you send a sympathy card to someone who is not one of your favorite people when I don't even send cards to people I really like? I am not a fan of cards. I don't believe in sending cards, although I might send you a DVD or a CD of a radio or television program I've made. Seventy years ago, my grandmother had a card that she sent back and forth to some friend. My grandmother's parents, you should know, were both born in Aberdeen, so my grandmother was 100% Scotch. This card was called a Scottish greeting card, and it circulated. Every year, Grammy would get the same card back from the friend that she'd sent it to the year before. And back when I still sent cards to people, I used to take a card that someone had sent me and cross the name off the bottom and send that. Why not? Is there anything wrong with crossing the name off a card someone sent you and sending it to someone else? I don't believe in cards. One card costs what? They probably cost a dollar or so now. Who can afford to spend a dollar for a card that someone will look at and then perhaps throw in the trash and not even the paper recycling bin? Now be honest with me here. On your birthday or Christmas, wouldn't you much rather open the envelope and find a dollar bill instead of a card? I most certainly would. <laughs> 